Some of you may be thinking to yourself, what in the hell did I just hear? Others of you, I'm sure, know exactly what you just heard. The Sierra Sounds. Tonight's guest, Ron Moorhead, is a renowned researcher, author, producer, and most importantly, 
and experiencer. He's been known for decades for his worldwide research into the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomenon. The Sierra Sounds are the only Bigfoot recordings that have been scientifically studied, time-tested, and accredited as being genuine. Ron has documented his personal interactions with these giant beings and produced his story on CD and in his book, Voices in the Wilderness. Very few researchers of his caliber are brave enough to publicly consider the hundreds of reports that include that spooky action at a distance, a phrase coined by Albert Einstein. In his most recent book, The Quantum Bigfoot, Ron goes above and beyond combining decades of experience and tireless hours of research into the realm of the quantum physics as it could pertain to Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Besides being the keynote speaker at many conventions, he has been featured on countless radio and TV programs, documentaries, and a multitude of podcasts. If you will please welcome with me, Mr. Ron Moorhead. Ron, welcome to Uncomfortable. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. I appreciate you being with me. Uncomfortable, though. Are you comfortable? I am. I am slightly uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you, because uh, <laughs> just because of your uh, um, your prowess of uh, uh, your name in the field of Bigfoot Sasquatch research. Well, I'm just one of the old guys. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, but there's there's something to be said for um, you've, and I, I guess this is where I'll go with that. You have you have several people nowadays that I think are into this because they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to make money off of it. They're trying to get the best show on TV, and you you and and some of the other old timers who have been in it for. 50 years of your life. I think that lends credence to the whole topic because who in their right mind is going to spend 50, 50 years of their life chasing after something that they're not a hundred percent sure of? Well, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I was there when all this took place and I know what we're dealing with. I'm not sure what they are, but I, I have my, my uh, conclusions on what any of us can draw some conclusions, but I can certainly put some dots together after 50 years of doing this and some of the enigmas and some of the strange things that we encountered in the Sierra Camp. You know, and the, the weird things, um, you know, once I started going down this rabbit hole and I, I got past the, uh, the finding Bigfoot and stuff like that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to shame those shows, but they are what they are. They're there for entertainment and they're there for ratings. Um, but once I started going and digging deeper and, and revisiting the Sierra sounds and other people that go, uh, you know, from a bunch of different perspectives, like, uh, the couple of gentlemen on YouTube that take the, uh, the Patterson Gimlin film and uh, enhance it and add coloration to it and, and make things more vibrant and slow things down and add the uh, stabilization to it so that you can see things much clearer as, as she's moving across that uh, riverbed. Um, those, those, that's when, that's when the rabbit hole, it, it doesn't seem like such a rabbit hole anymore. It, it seems like you're really, you're really going after 
viable information that, that a lot of people have spent a lot of time on. And there's not, I don't believe that they're all crazy. I just don't, I don't. I've never personally had a visual sighting. I've had a couple of experiences in the woods that were very strange. And till this day, I can't explain what happened, but it's kept me out of the woods. Really? And, and I guess, I guess it's from this kind of from the standpoint of, I don't want to ever want to be in a position where I would have to shoot one of these things because I don't think they're an animal. I, I think they're, I think they're something much closer to us than, than just, you know, akin to a, a deer or a bear walking through the woods. Well, I agree with you on that. Totally. 100%. I'm pretty sure of it myself. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very certain of it myself, you know, just from the investigation that I've done. So if you would, let's, uh, let's touch on, on the time that you, you spent up there in the Sierras. And I know that it's, it, you've spent a lot of years up there, but, um, initially you were just, you were part of a hunting group going up to hunt that area. Right. Yeah. Well, the Johnson brothers have been hunting up there since 1958. So it's kind of a hunting camp, very remote in the wilderness, uh, 8,400 8, feet in elevation and eight miles on a trail, uh, uh, that you can as close as you can drive to and uh, anyway uh, yeah they uh, they went up there earlier that year to, to earlier in 1971 to check out the, uh, the camp to see what kind of snow load uh, had been done by the snow load to, to the cabin to the shelter I should say not cabin and just to be there it's kind of a sanctuary for them it has been and uh they, they just think it's so serene, and it is. It's just a beautiful area of your country. You're back in the middle of nowhere, away from everybody, and they felt like it was just, like Warren said to me one time, it's about as close to God as I think I'll ever get. <laughs> so they've been visiting since 58. Uh, this didn't start happening to them that summer until 1971. And they uh, they realized this wasn't a bear out there when they heard the commotion going on around the, the uh, stove. They were inside the shelters. Shelters just so group of trees are going to circle and uh, wrap cable around it and put dead fall up on that and then cable across the top and they dead fall on that but plastic over that then put alder brush over that so it's like a big beaver's nest really the doorway is just a log between two trees that are wedged uh, so that's how you get it out and from the picture so that, that thing looked like it was absolutely huge <laughs> was that was that a chore moving that door uh, no, it was a dried log. Uh, we had it strapped in cable. It was, well, I shouldn't say it wasn't a chore. I've done it several, many times, and you just got to hug it like a big bear and <laughs> place it in place. But then you have a cable around it, so you strap it, you tie it up inside so nothing can open it from the outside. I think that was the concern, uh, that whatever's out there might come through the doorway, but that's a little bit ridiculous in retrospect. They could have just tore right through the walls if they wanted to. Yeah. So that's how I got involved. They came out with this story about the monster being up there, or something up there, the Bigfoot making all these sounds. And so you knew about you knew about what was going on up there prior to your first uh, your your first expedition there. Yes, in fact, that's why I got me invited in. I was friends with all of them. The other hunters were up there. The other, other hunters went back after Johnson Brothers told them they all all went up there. All five of them, four of them, excuse me, and. Uh, 
anyway, I, uh, uh, one of the guys got scared off. He just heard the sounds one night. He didn't believe it. Very religious guy. He thought that, you know, the giants in the Old Testament and all that just don't exist anymore. What is this happening? It's a demon or something. They don't know what kind of monster it is. And all they know is a really horrendous sounds, as you heard. And it's just, um, the next morning, he left notice, I'm out of here. And he, he took off and he wouldn't go back. But the guys were daylight coming out. So, like, again, I was friends with all of them. And I wasn't a hunter at the time, but. Uh, he wouldn't go back. The wives were worried, so they wanted him to go back and check up and see what's going on because they didn't know what they were dealing with at the time because they eat them or carry away or just what was going on. So I went back with him uh, on his request, and uh, that's how I got involved. And I decided, well, I just want to be part of this. It's a nice, it's really a nice spot up there, nice area. Yeah. And uh, so I became a hunter and uh, started hunting with him the uh, season after that. We started encountering these things off and also. We all started taking tape recorders with us and started recording. And it wasn't until 1972, 71, 72, when the winter of that year, when uh, Warren Johnson, the leader of the group, he wrote a 23-page letter to Ivan Sanderson, who thought it was probably just a bipolar's leg, because nobody has stuff like this happen to him. And uh, you know, repeated encounters. So, but Ivan Sanderson sent it to a guy named Peter Byrne out on the West Coast in Oregon, who had a Bigfoot research uh, uh, shop set up there. Peter thought the same thing. It's probably a hoax. But he sent it down to Al Berry, who ended up here. And he thought it was a hoax, too. Now, we didn't know all this going on. We didn't realize they, they thought that way about what we were saying. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all kind of respectable guys, we thought. Yeah. <laughs> we, so we you just, had no, uh, you had no idea that all the, the back talking was going on? Uh, we did not. No, had. not until I seen the letters going back and forth later on and all that stuff, you know, and, and between the, them all. Yeah. Anyway, Al went up there. We invited him in. He went in in 72, or the tape recorder also, just like we was all carrying. And uh, he was looking for a hoax. He was looking to see who could be hiding wires or chicken or something like that, or what kind of amplifier could make a sound this loud without leaving a sign of a speaker or something, you know. And uh, He was looking for the hoax. He went through our packs during the day, which we didn't know while we was out walking, uh, and just stuff like that. I didn't know all this till later. And he uh, told me, and he wrote about it in his book uh, that he co-authored with Ann Slate years ago. But uh, he he was he ended up being a friend of mine. Uh, he wasn't at the time because he kept questioning us all the time about <laughs> this, that, and the other. You know, and, uh, we knew we were dealing with something pretty unique, but we didn't know how unique uh, until today. You know, just how special this what we was doing was. We didn't know that it just when. Uh, apron around out of the woods that hadn't been classified yet. Okay, and, so you're, uh, not to interrupt, but you're, you're talking 1971, 1972. So uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film had only had only been out for a, a short few years at that point. Yeah, right. And my guess is that at that, at that time, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of places where you could see that film. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't like you had YouTube where you could, you know, find forty different channels and have that video on there. So when you guys were up there and you were hearing these noises and stuff, was was Bigfoot in your mind? Was that, was that something that you guys? Well, were it thinking was at about? the time when we started hearing. When we started hearing the noises, it certainly was because something was making that sound. It wasn't bear. It wasn't anything we knew. And uh, it wasn't until later on we found it was outside the human range. Humans can't really make those sounds and. Did that through the scientific studies that we've had done at the University of Wyoming and also cryptolinguists from the Navy. And uh, that got us kind of a, 
pop up, wow, we're dealing with something special up there. It's not just Snape in the Woods because there's too many strange things going on up there with these sounds, not just the sounds that they were making, but uh, lights and just stuff. And uh, I get into a lot of that in my book. Uh, How prevalent was the weird stuff like throughout the years that you were encountering this stuff? And and I read um, I read somewhere that you had an instance where the bear uh, a bear came into the uh, into the camp and you guys couldn't get it to get out of your camp, so unfortunately you guys had to shoot it. And, right. And then you said most of most of the the close up encounter stuff that you guys had been experiencing pretty much had had stopped at that point. That's correct. And we're not sure if it had something to do with the bear, but before the bear or Something was, a Bigfoot was yelling behind the shelter up on the ridge up there. And uh, at the same time, we was hearing something tearing up our, our camp. We thought, well, they don't ever do that. They don't usually tear up our camp. So we shined a light out there, and that's when we saw it was a bear. The Bigfoot had stopped yelling, and uh, we uh, went out and tried. Well, I, I think you read that part where we tried to get rid of it, but it ended up coming at us, and we shot it. And uh, we skinned it out the next day, and that. I kind of curtail my hunting, to be honest with you. It's kind of a creepy thing to see a bear skin. I was like a little person or a big person, I should say. And, uh, yeah, that, that was in 76, I think it was. And that's when the coastline stuff stopped. So how, uh, how prevalent was the weird stuff that accompanied the, uh, the mean, presence how, how of these often? guys? Yeah. Um, how often? Yes. Well, in 72, it was quite regular. In 71, what was left of 71 was regular too. A lot just about every time you went up, something would happen. And uh, 72, a lot happened. 73, Al Berry went up there with his brother, uh, who had never been there before. And uh, uh, my friend Bill McDowell and myself, we packed food and supplies in for him. And, and they sat there the whole summer. And he said the only thing that ever happened up there was bear, a lot of bear coming around. But the biggest thing that happened was he heard some bipedal something chomp through the camp one night. They found a 14-inch tracks the next morning. So that's the only thing that happened in 73. And 74 was a big year. That's when I uh, recorded my interaction with him. Just me and my friend Bill were up there taking supplies in. And uh, that's when I had the encounter uh, while we were outside the shelter, which was very unique. And that's the night I got to see one, too. And I got to all recorded. First time you got to see what was making the noise. (laughs) Normally, you either hear it and you think what it is or... You see a glimpse of something you don't know. And what so, what kind of a moment was that for you? That was a special moment. Uh, it's probably my most exciting moment up there. About an hour long, we had this interaction going with, uh, we think, a family of three. Uh, we sure quite sure of an adolescent in there. It had a small voice in it, and that uh, we had. That's where the samurai cry came from that you heard mm-hmm. coined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By actually, my moneymaker uh, coined that phrase when he heard it in '95, I think, and. uh so that's the night I saw this big uh, something just shooting down through the woods uh, from behind us there, and uh, where the other two were, we think the mother and the adolescent. So how how clear how clear of a view did you have of it? Well, it was bright moonlit night. You just seen eighty four hundred feet in the Sierra. You can read a newspaper on a bright moonlit night. So we, uh, I got a good glimpse. I couldn't tell you any details other than it was just big and it was running through the trees and very 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 fast and uh that's about all i can tell i couldn't tell you any details other than a human couldn't do what i saw this thing doing that that means the speed and the the smoothness in which it went through the woods too i've never tripped over any logs or anything 
Yeah, that's it's really strange how how many reports touch on that 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 fluidness of how they move through the th- through the brush. Bess and I, yeah, Bess and I recorded uh, uh, the whooping sounds, the wood knocking, rhythmic rhythmic uh, rock knock, rhythmic knocking on rocks. Rain for night, Bill. with them when they were trying to say something we don't know what they I don't know what they're trying to say to me but it was actually a, a question you could hear from the inflection of it it was a question I just was mimicking them back again we underestimated everything we're dealing with in those days so don't really know uh, know what they tell us cryptolinguist he just said it's a language by the human definition of language which means a morphine stream of words would make up a sapient sentence like we're doing right now right um, no other animal on the face of this planet is supposed to be able to do that. Uh, according to Dr. Lieberman at Brown University, he said only humans have the uh, hyoid bone connected to the tongue, the nervous system into the brain, which which you can look at something and talk about it. Where no other animal is supposed to do that. Only humans have that attribute in their, in their vocal mechanism. However, these things have it, but they're not human like us. Right. The, the, the study we had done at the University of Wyoming shows where they're the depressal range of their sounds goes away outside the average human range, below, above, and, and inside, which tells us they can mimic just about anything they want to mimic. That's a suggestion that has. And that's all in a book, Man Like Monsters on Trial, that uh, Dr. Curlin, the University of Wyoming, uh, gave a paper, gave a, his speech, and it became a paper in a book, Man Like Monsters on Trial. Uh, anyway, he gave that to the anthropology of the unknown in uh, British Columbia University, PC. And uh, that was a big hurdle because then we knew, because he said no, no, no manipulation was done. There was not speeded up. They were not slowed down. They were they were actually just what they appeared to be. Those were Alberry's tapes. You know, we're all recording the same thing. Those were very clear. And he had the original tapes that he used. It's a cassette tape recorder. And that's why it was able to be studied. And that uh, makes that no no foul play at all. Then you got the crypto linguist who hears it in 2008. He comes out and interviews me and Al Berry both, and, and he uh, he also went back and studied them. He said this is a language. And he's transcribed the language by the human definition of language. Now that that's, was Scott. That was weird. Scott Nelson, correct? That's Scott Nelson, correct? Yeah, and he's trained to you know look for troublesome things in languages, deception. Uh, even if it is a language, and it is language, and it goes all the way back to uh, Albert Osman's story when uh, John Green, mm-hmm. a, a newspaper man, was uh, interviewing uh, Albert Osman. Those kidnappings that he supposedly had he was held captive for six days, and 
They said there was a male that carried him away in a straight bag, and there was a, a female and an adolescent, two adolescents in this area. And he said they were chattering amongst themselves. Well, that's how I would describe what they were doing up there around us. They were chattering amongst themselves. And I hear that a lot. I hear a lot of people say that. But also hear say, people say, well, I heard my dog's name being called. My dog wasn't with me. <laughs> I heard <laughs> so-and-so's name, but my so-and-so wasn't around. And uh, they would toy with you. I got to tell you, that. they were messing with us up there. We were really trying to put a finger on this thing up there, and uh, we tried to rig up camera traps or anything else. They seemed to be a step above us, uh, beyond us. They knew, either knew what we were doing or they knew to go around that trap, or they busted the camera. We think we lost three cameras at different times up there. But they, we had underestimated what we're dealing with in the 70s. We, again, thought there were just some kind of a beast out there in the woods. Uh, was there a fear? Was there a was there a palpable fear among you guys when this when these well, experiences were happening? Yeah, uh, Eric, there was a definite fear at the beginning with uh, the guys up there because again, you don't know what's going to happen when these things are making those sounds out there. This chills you. Like I say, they're all sitting in their in the shelter there with their guns ready to shoot a way out if we had to. But uh, I wasn't as afraid probably as the guys were at the beginning, just because because I knew they hadn't been carried away. And of course I was 29 years old then and nothing could hurt a 29 year old. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were all, uh, you know, just, I was being Bill McDowell about the same age. And <clears throat> the Johnson brothers are, are about 10 years older than us were. And, uh, so there was a fear. There was concern for sure. And these guys are avid hunters. So they didn't, they thought their guns would stop whatever come through. You've got a 44 Magnum in your hand and, uh, you think it's going to help you a lot, but I'm not so sure it would have. And certainly there was no intention to shoot these things and had, unless they had it came through the shelter at us. And had that have happened, then uh, sure, we'd all been deaf right now, but uh, <laughs> we'd have been shooting our way out <laughs> trying to. Yeah. So at the point so, you had your, at the point you had your, your first visualization of this thing going through the woods, uh, my first visualizing yeah when you first saw it in the moonlight when you saw it going through the yeah. that was 1974 yeah what goes through your head when you see that what went through my head yeah i was excited i gotta tell you because we've been dealing with these things now for since 71 and it was just really neat that they were interacting with us while we we're outside we got kind of a oh i don't want to say friendly but kind of a loose with any fear factor at all i mean, I, I wasn't afraid I didn't think I was anyway. And, uh, but again, we always had guns with us. Uh, so I'm not sure if that held them back or if they just, what was really causing them to interact with us the way they were. I think maybe that night when I told you there was an adolescent down there with her mother, mm -hmm. I think that's what we think. Didn't see them. I just saw the big one coming down uh, from behind me there, down to where they are down by the creek. And uh, I think maybe the young ones are getting a little bit, uh, maybe they're getting some OJT, some training, how to how to mess with these humans. I don't know. But um, it almost sounded like they were having some fun with us. I think they were having fun with us. And, uh, so they're either uh, training their young ones to deal with us or their young ones are just getting bold and they're trying to hold them back. I'm not sure. But I think it's, it's got something to do with that. There's three of them that night, though, I'm pretty sure different places well i've often thought that there must be some sort of parental training with the young ones to to in in some way shape or form make them either 
fear being seen by us or um, <coughs> in some way instill in them that that proper interaction between them and 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 us is not something that they want to do on a regular basis so it would not surprise me to find out that yeah. they're training yeah. training their young in in the well, ways I think they have to we as parents train our young too sure. we all train their young and uh just uh I think when they're in our environment, our 3D environment, I'm going to call it because I think possibly they have an attribute that we'll get into a little bit if you want to, but uh, yes. there's an attribute. And uh, if that's the case, then they probably do it through frequency because as Tesla said, everything is energy, frequency, and vibration at its most minute level. So when you get into that, just about everything is possible. Uh, our, our thinking on 3D reality is everything is measurable, predictable, uh, physical, and uh, it's just not that way with everything. That's Newtonian physics, and God bless uh, Newton because he gave us the industry, the mechanical industry. But but there's another there's another science out there. It's called modern science, and it was brought to us by Max Planck in the 18, late 1800s, who won the Nobel Prize in 1918 for quantum mechanics. And quantum physics is a subset of that. And if you get into the math of quantum physics, you realize there's a whole lot more going on that that we don't see, that we don't see with our 3D eyes. Um, and it's a call, I think it all boils down to vibration. So if they can actually change uh, the vibrational frequency to create, uh, to change their matter into uh, energy or something like that, that would uh, show, tell us why they sometimes have been reported as being disappearing. And it would also mean why they train their children, because uh, their children has to learn this stuff. And uh, it's just a matter of uh, having the attributes that allow you to change your uh, vibrational frequency. And I don't disagree with that at all. I know it sounds like, you know, to most people it probably sounds like a real stretch for for a, uh, an animal to be able to do that. But well, if they are an animal, Eric, I, I you know. <laughs> yeah. I think probably we're going to find out they're a hybrid and they do have the same, uh, some, some of the same DNA that we have. There's been two uh, studies done on that now from DNA, and uh, mm -hmm. they've both been downplayed by mainstream science because they show human human mitochondrial, which is a maternal side. Right. And uh, that gets it into what, well, we're going to get into biblical, some of the biblical terms. Nephilim in the Old Testament says that uh, fallen angels, which we'll call them uh, aliens for, for the time being, <laughs> call them aliens. Aliens came down and started messing with the genome of, uh, of humans, which was, and humans is what we are, and we've been given dominion on the planet, but that was, I think, pissing off uh, our creator. And uh, so that's what I call the deluge. It caused it, and uh, it's kind of supposedly wiped them out for the time being anyway. However, I, know, I, know this, I know this is all just guesswork, you know, at this point, but do you do you think, you know, with with the advent of, uh, another culture coming down and and then messing with the the human genome altering the dna to possibly produce what we're talking about sasquatch do you think that we were in our current state the way we are now you know hairless and um basically modern man and then they they messed with us or did they did they go back further was it when we were still hair covered and in dragon Well, club? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we looked like six thousand years ago or ten thousand years ago. 
However, the uh, Targetites, which that's what you're referring to, I think that's what they're messing with. Uh, I think aliens have been coming here for eons. Mm-hmm. I'm quite quite regular with that because it's it's been established now that aliens have been here. Uh, I've seen evidence of them myself personally, and I've uh, 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 they have to be more advanced than what we are now, and uh, to to be here to come here anyway. And I think we were. Uh, well, we were created by a special alien, and uh, I think that's uh, from the troglodytes, in my opinion. I don't dis- disagree with uh, Darwinism. I do think that we evolved. However, that was our bodies. Uh, what happened to us gave us our cognizance and our sapience. Uh, that was something special that intervened into the troglodytes and created uh, something in their likeness, which is man. And uh, that's us. So... I think they'd probably mess with the genome of a lot of different species on this planet. And uh, I think there's been a lot of different types of aliens here, and they're all seeking this planet. This planet is, is the jewel of the solar system. It's just a gorgeous place. And here we are screwing it up, and I think it maybe concerns a lot of them, uh, aliens I'm talking about now. Yeah. Bigfoot, too. Yeah. You, you hear a lot of reports of these Bigfoot things being seen around where they're clear-cutting timber, and I don't I think that really... Uh, disagrees with them. Uh, I get off the subject pretty easy, actually. No, no, you're you're fine. Uh, we're <laughs> we're just having a great conversation. So, uh, yeah, where wherever it goes is is absolutely fine with me. We're we're still on the same topic. It's uh, it is it is odd that it seems like you know so many hunters run into them, and and hunters are harvesting animals from an area that obviously they they reside in so are they looking at that as a uh an attack on their food source uh, i don't think so uh i don't think they care uh they have to they're supposed to i think kind of stay out of our way because we have we've been giving i think uh, dominion on this planet where the human being the race has been given this planet to screw it up or make it better what are we going to do and uh, they're not but they are caring i think they care at least some of them they're not all the same i don't think all these bigfoot creatures are the same uh depending on what what gave them the nuclear part of the dna uh, which is the male counterpart uh, that would be similar to what you read in, in ancient texts as far as the uh, genome being changed by uh, aliens into creating giants these things are giants and they get really big uh, some of them are reported to be 15 feet tall yeah. some people just oh, I can't believe that they can believe it maybe a 7 or 8 foot tall one but not a 15 foot tall one I could so even I, I can even go 9 foot <laughs> see you, know, you won't go any further but, though <laughs> but, but, but I mean my god I, you know could you imagine something 15 foot tall towering over you like that it, that would just I don't know that yeah, your mind that could be, wrap I don't think your mind could wrap around it uh, that would be a pretty frightening thing, probably. Yeah. I know what I saw was not 15 feet tall. It was certainly bigger than what we are. Uh, I would guess it to be probably a nine foot tall when it's shooting down through there. It was a big male, I think. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, there's reports of them, especially up in Alaska, which really I just came out of Alaska on an expedition up there, a filming expedition. And these things have been reported up there. Uh, there's Alaska Triangle where a lot of people are seeing these things and they're seeing big ones. I mean, bigger than 
they're nine foot tall, they're seen them 15 feet tall. I have a theory that maybe their pituitary gland that doesn't cut off like ours does. Oh, and yeah. if, if they can step out of our three-dimensional environment and get into another dimension of the fifth or whatever, a time as we perceive it with us day by day doesn't exist anymore, so they wouldn't be aging like we do. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That does it? make a lot of sense, <laughs> an awful lot of sense, yeah. Well, some people can't wrap their head around that stuff, but it is quantum mechanics. And it is, you know, let me quote, you know who Nicole Tesla was, right? Sure. Yes, sir. Yeah. He says, the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena will make more progress in one decade than all the previous centuries of its existence. I think we're in that era now. And they're getting... That guy was so so far ahead of his his time. Oh yeah, like Max Planck, he's a like I say, the father of quantum mechanics. He he said uh, science will. Uh, let's see how they do. Science changes one funeral at a time, <laughs> which which means you got to get the whole thinking out, just get some fresh minds in there to get on this. Because I know these scientists. I've been all over the world with them. I've been in Russia speaking at the Darwin Museum over there at Moscow and in Siberia. I've been down in Peru and Bolivia a few times to a scientist and to get into quantum physics to try to explain this the enigmas associated with these things is just out of what they want to deal with. You know, they're trained their classical science is trained in the parameters of classical science, which is Newtonian physics, which we talked about earlier. And if you get into everything it has to be measurable, predictable, physical, material, uh, you find that that's just not the way everything is. They're just that's just us in a 3D environment, there's more going on around us that we just don't see. Like uh, even a, a bear's olfactory sense is so many, many more times better than ours. Uh, a dog can smell seven times better than us, they say, and a bear can do like 21 times, 2100 times better than a human. That's how their olfactory sense works. And they, they just smell in different frequencies. Everything is a frequency, and it vibrates. And if you can catch that vibration just right, the right place, if you're in the right spot with your vibration, uh, that's when different things can happen to you. I think that's where we were up there at the camp. I think maybe there was something special about the area. You, for a long time, I said it doesn't make any difference where you are. They're going to find you if, you, if they want to deal with you. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I do think there's special spots that have uh, energy around them or something like that, that that causes these things to deal with people more. Are we you, were in one of those spots. Are you aware of ley lines? Yes. Did you ever, did you ever look into the idea of whether or not that camp was anywhere near? Well, it's near, but it's not right at our spot. Right that out. doesn't mean anything about it. They might have, if there was a energy portal or something like that, Adelaide line. Uh, they may have came through that to be because I think they want to be on this planet for sure. I don't know if they're. Uh, let me back up just a little bit. <clears throat> I have no doubt that some of them could be just a really common that have evolved and just gotten good at camouflaging, hiding behind trees and blending in. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're all that way. Because these that we dealt with, the Sierra Nevada Mountains of California, had a language and they were cognizant sapient entities messing with us. And I don't know if they're all that way. I don't know if they all have the attribute for talking. Uh, I don't know if they all have an attribute for what I'm talking about. I think some of these older ones have been here for ages and ages, may have Crossbred with indigenous people, became more and more human-like, and maybe they've lost some of the attributes or, or become recessive, I should say. Because I think we have attributes we have yet to tackle. We just haven't learned how to 
how to evolve. We have not evolved as a human species as much as we need to. We all have abilities far beyond what we realize. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I, yeah, I don't know if that I've ever, I've never looked at this in, in the backward sense, but you know, like you said, um, they've, they may have bred with indigenous people, uh, to continue their, their species. And at that point, the possibility of some of their, uh, some of their weirder attributes may get a, a little bit, a, a little pissed out and, and not be quite as strong. But, right. But what if what if, you know, like the skunk ape down in uh, down in the southern region of the the states? What if they were at one uh, time more like the ones you're talking about, but but they ended up breeding with animals? You know, like orangutans well, or monkeys, have, uh, then then yeah. that would also be pissing out the the weirdness. Well, they would have to have a special, you know, they have to be made up with 23 pairs of chromosomes, so 24 pairs, like uh, all animals have 24 pairs. We have 23 pairs, you know. Yeah. So whatever in breeds with us needs 23 pair of chromosomes, and uh, that would make them more uh, apt to choose a, a, a indigenous person or human of some type. Uh, or unless there, again, is some manipulation going on with, the, with those in the by the aliens and I saw like a nut if I had been talking like this 10 years ago they'd probably throw me in a can <laughs> but uh, uh, really I can talk openly about aliens I felt like this for a long time uh, they are here they have been here they live in another dimension most of them and when they come out of that they, if they're living in our three dimensional environment they live by our rules so I think a lot of them want to stay where they are for a while and, but they want to acclimate their species to this planet which again is is the jewel of the solar system. And they like the water here, they like everything it's got, and they want to be here, they want to be part of it, so they acclimate their species. That's why you hear reports of dog man, you hear reports of all kinds of weird things out there. Uh, 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 it's a big bird that flies around. Yeah. Some guys report that to me. At the Coast Star Camp, I'd say, it was down from the mountain from our camp. Really? They, they swarmed down, they saw this uh, this. And I called it a pterodactyl, but I said, yeah. ah, you've seen, you've seen a, uh, uh, oh, what's those big birds? Golden uh, eagle, harpy eagle? No, no, they're, uh, they're bigger than that. They're condors. Oh, condors. Yeah. You've seen a condor. They, they swarp it. No, it was not a condor. This thing had a leather look to it. It had a pointed beak on its head, and its whole head was small with a pointed. And they said it just sat on top of this huge pine tree for the longest time and just lapped off. <laughs> so, I don't know what to think about that stuff. Then you hear the stories on the Skinwalker Ranch. You've heard of that? I'm oh sure. God, yeah. And the stuff that's supposedly gone on there, and uh, that's some our government what put thirty million dollars into that project, yeah. just trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, you know, and then what, so, what's really interesting to me about that that place is once uh, uh, Mr. Bigelow sold it over to uh, the the new curator of it, um, uh-huh. he's never really parted with any of the information that they garnered from the time that they spent there. That, that, that information is still being withheld by Bigelow and Mm kind of makes you wonder why. Well, I think I know why I think our government is involved in this. I hate to say this, but I think there's a cover up going on. I think they know about these things. They don't want the information out because it's going to throw a kink into so much 
of the history books, Darwinism, religions, uh, it's going to change everything uh, once. But I think they're just feeding us a little bit of what they think we can handle at a time, you know, just a little bit of, like the, the Roswell crash that mm-hmm. happened in 1947. Well, you know, that was a weather balloon for a long time. <laughs> All of a sudden, no, there was aliens there. Some of them died, some of them lived, da-da-da. But they started really getting interested in what we're doing when the after the atomic bomb went off. And yes. now they're interested again because of the, the threat of war and some of these nuclear weapons we got out there. And they just don't, I don't think they want us to screw this earth up, and that's what we're doing. We're just uh, warring, killing, hurting, and that's got to slow down. It's got to stop. Well, if, it, you know, if, if, if raping the, the rainforest creates issues throughout the rest of this world because we've done that, or the pollution in the seas creates issues in other areas of this world, then it would make sense that if we're doing things to the entire planet, that it could affect things off of this world as well. It could throw other things out of kilter throughout the... Well, that's the the word I'm hearing. Yeah, it could throw the whole, yeah, everything out of whack. And I think they really want us to just do better. Uh, And I think once we we really get on the edge of uh, terminating ourselves accidentally or something through war, I think there will be a big intervention. And uh, they they will stop it. They have the technology to stop it, too. What do you what do you think about the uh, the government's recent uh, change of heart with uh, coming out and admitting that they have? Well, they got they got too many of these retired uh, officers coming out of the woodwork and telling what really takes place at Area Fifty One, different places with aliens. And uh, of course, now you got the film that came out by the doctor uh, Commander Fravor who right, yeah. filmed one for the Navy, and you got all these other people now stepping up, very credible people who've been in government work and they're, they're saying this is what happened and uh, you hear all this stuff and well, I think Edgar Mitchell was one of them too he he, he was an astronaut you know and yes he, yeah he, <laughs> and he was he was into good. more than just UFOs I mean he did a, I remember reading he did some kind of a, um, an, an odd experiment uh, while he was up there as far as um, I don't remember if it was astral project astral projection or um, it, it was something to do with uh, his mind and uh, yeah he he was into all kinds of stuff that you know well he, he made a quote i, I got right here if you want to hear it sure says, there are no there are no unnatural or supernatural phenomena only very large gaps in our knowledge of what is natural we should strive to close those gaps of ignorance excuse me we should strive to fill those gaps of ignorance and uh, so he knew there was something going on. He also said, you know, it takes classical science and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you, uh, you got Native Moore that says they live in two worlds. Well, what does that mean? And they say, well, they live in trees. Uh, well, you know, I've had people say, oh, I saw them come out of a tree. How did that work? And you got this, uh, I, was, I was filmed in, uh, 2018 by David Pilates who mm-hmm. yeah. hunted missing 411. Yeah, it's very. I good got show. about a 15 minute. Pardon me. A very good show. I, I remember. Okay. I, I was very surprised to see you at the end. It was. It was very nice. Did you see uh, my part of it? I did. Yeah, I, yeah, I was excited. Right. I, 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 I was. I guess it excited me because one, I think I've I've followed Dave's work, 
and I think Dave is very careful not to make any uh, alluding to Bigfoot being responsible for any of this stuff. Right. But yet, when he brought you into the end of uh, Missing 411, The Hunted, I don't know if that was his nod to his followers that, you know, this this phenomenon could be a part of, of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, he will never, like you say, he's a retired uh, a re- detective. Or he's been a cop for, for years and years and years. So he's going to keep it black and white, and he's not going to fall into any rabbit holes too much. But he, how he thinks is, is, you have to ask him, but I've known David for years and years before I'd ever let anybody go up there. He's the only one I've ever taken into the camp mm-hmm. to do an interview with me. And to, uh, he did a real good reproduction of that light that went by our tent. And it looked just what it looked like. His videographer did a really good job on that. But the, what I was going to get at about that whole section, the whole thing he did was the, the part right after mine of the lady who was tree hunting. Yes. Uh, seeing that pixelation form going from one tree to another. Well, that's the same thing that's reported to me several times over the years about these things being pixelated. You know, and I think that's their matter turned into energy, and you're, you're seeing the energy. Uh, there was a lady here, I, uh, she said her she was out walking her cat, and she had her phone with her, and her cat started acting real strange, like I'd seen something. So she's looking around, she started recording with her phone, and her cat just started looking at the weeds going by, and she started filming the weeds going by. She didn't see it with her eyes, but she looked at the film later, and she showed it to me. It was a pixelation of something, some kind of a form or something moving along, and the cat was following. See, animals can see outside of our visual perception. Right, right. Yeah. They see better than we do. Most of them do. Not all of them, but most of them do. We only see within certain frequencies, the light's frequency. You get outside that frequency, all kinds of things going on that you just don't see, yet it's they're there. And uh, kind of like what I was talking about the olfactory sense, you know, we don't, we don't smell certain things, but that would be the smell isn't there. <laughs> right. And uh, just like ultrasound and infrasound, same thing there. You get into those frequencies, you don't hear them, uh, but they're there. Uh, well, I, I'm glad you brought up the infrasound. I wanted to I wanted to touch base with you on that real quick and, and tell you about an experience that I had um, just about a month and a half ago, not even that long ago. One of my guests that I had on my show was a Native American witch. And the the episode turned out really well. But during the course of the two and a half hours that I spent with her, I experienced some of the weirdest things within that two and a half hours. that, That it was the weirdest day I've ever had in my life. And during the course of our conversation, um, prior to us go, prior to us going into her house, she took me around the corner from where she lives, which is a very wooded area, um, fairly good, sizable stream running behind her property. And she told me to pull pull off to the side of the road, and she she pointed back into these woods, and she says, "That's where my big boy lives." And I said, "Who's your big boy?" And she said, "Seti." S-E-T-I. That's what she named it. And uh, I thought that was odd because SETI is also the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, the foundation that had for years been looking for extraterrestrial life. But she said that it's an Egyptian name. And uh, 
she got out of the car and she she made a a whooping noise and way off in the distance you I heard something. It it sounded like a mimic of what she did. Uh, it wasn't very loud, but I but I heard it. And uh, later that night, while we were in the middle of our our interview, again she started talking about this creature. And uh, <laughs> it was the weirdest damn thing because we were we were in a room with the door closed. the The one wall was all windows. It was dark outside, and I heard this incredible noise that just, it shook both of us. We both whipped around and looked at the windows at the same time. I had chill bumps on my body everywhere. I mean, not just my arms, not just the back of my neck. I had I had goosebumps on the, on the sides of my torso, on my chest, my legs, everywhere. And I lifted up my arm, and my the hair was standing up. And she looked at me and lifted her arm up and her arrow was standing up. And I said, what, <laughs> what was that? And she smiled and she goes, that's him. That's my big boy. And the sound that I heard Ron was deafening. I had my, I had my headphones on. She had headphones on. We were in the middle of doing an interview, just like we're doing here. And that noise was so loud and so disruptive that I knew 100% that my equipment picked that up and I could not wait to get home to review that file and, and hear that noise. I got into my car after it was all over and done with and I immediately called my son, the one that was up there where, where I met you a couple of weekends ago. I called him and I said, buddy, you got a, I got a 35 minute drive home. I said, you got to talk me through this. I said, I don't know what the hell just happened, but you know, my, my body, my body reacted in a, uh, in a way that was, it, it put me on high alert. I wouldn't say it was a fight or flight instinct, but I was on high alert. And I remember the first thought going through my head was, damn it, my gun is still in my car. And I'm not typically that kind of person at, at the first sign of trouble. I'm not thinking who I need to grab my gun. That's not me at all. Um, and then the second thought that went through my head was, shit, I got 40 pounds of dog food in my back seat because I had gone to the store before I met her to pick up dog food. And, and I thought, what, what a weird thing to go through my head. Why, why would I be thinking that? And I'm talking to my son. And I'm trying to explain to him what I just heard. And he's asking me, well, was it, did it sound like a whoop? Was it a yell? Was it a howl? Was it a scream? What was it? You know, what, what did it? And I finally had to just tell him, shut up. And I couldn't answer him. I could not tell him what I heard. Mm-hmm. And that was the weirdest thing for me because I was like, this thing was so, this was so loud and so voluminous in that room that it, I mean, it just, it shook. But the more I started thinking about it and the fact that I could not relate or even remember what that sound was, I started thinking to myself that maybe it wasn't so much what I heard as much as how my body reacted to what it felt. And I started thinking in lines of the idea of infrasound and, and it was almost a, it was almost a wave you know, I, you got the initial jolt that made my hair stand up and everything. And then it kind of, it kind of faded off, but then it kind of came back a little bit. 
and each time that it came back and and then dipped away it was a little less and a little less and a little less and she was 100% convinced that that was him mm-hmm. that was that was Sasquatch outside of her outside of her house well, you did when you uh, listened to your recording did you did you capture any of that sound <laughs> that was the thing that that just blew me it wasn't away. there was it no <laughs> She's yeah. pr- she's pronouncing we're, we're, she's in the middle of a sentence, and she per- pronounces the word "and." She's going to continue on with her sentence, and as she says the word "and," that's when we both stop. Everything stops, and there's nothing. So I, I pulled it into an audio program, and I, I started beefing up the uh, the volume. And at the tail end of her pronunciation of the the letter D. There, you can hear a slight, ooh, but you just get like the tail end of it, just a, a little, ooh. And I'm like, that is not what I heard. It is absolutely not what I heard. But it did sound like the tail end of a, a, yeah, a whoop. Uh-huh. But that's not what happened in that room. <sighs> And I can't well, I'm explain quite, that. I'm quite sure they do use infrasound, and that will definitely it can jar you. Uh, actually, that's something unusual about that. The large, large animals use that to communicate over long distances, and elephants, tigers, giraffes, uh, um, and also it was used in uh, Stalin used it, and so did Hitler. I guess tried to use it to control crowds. I think it's been used on me at our camp a couple of times when we ran into what I thought was kind of like a force field. I couldn't ex- explain it any other way. How did how did that how did how did that affect you? Well, it stopped me. Well, Warren Johnson and I were walking. We heard one of them was was yelling right outside our not yelling, but he was chattering outside the shelter there, probably 30, 40 feet away from where the shelter is. And we thought, well, we'd jump out the doorway. This we get kind of bold because we didn't think they were going to eat us then. That we were safe around this. Let's go out there and see if we can see it run off. It's bright and little at night again. So we jumped out of the shelter door and started walking towards where it was. And nothing ran off. We knew it had to be behind this one big tree. Uh, we thought it had to be anyway. We were both walking up probably 10, 15 feet apart, and we both just got froze. It's like a, I related my book like a force field. It just something was stopping us. And I couldn't. We couldn't go further. He looked at me and said, I don't know about you, but I can't go any further. I said, I can't either. So we turned around. We could go backwards. We could go forward. I read that to a scientist a year, uh, sometime after that. He said, you know, we can't deal with your fear. And I said, we were not afraid at that time. We were just not. It wasn't fear. So he, he suggested it was either infrasound or sometimes pheromones can react that, can make a human react that way. But pheromones only work within the same species. Infrasound can work on anybody. I think they hunt with them for sound. They can definitely paralyze. Uh, they paralyzed us. <laughs> that happened to me one other time walking through the forest up there. I wasn't even thinking about Bigfoot at the time. I just walked along and bam, I got hit with that again. Wow. And I, it's just, uh, I can't say it. It's, I, I can't describe it. It's just like, I just, I, well, I kind of relate to a Star Trek force field. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's because uh, I didn't see any sparks or anything like that. <laughs> we had to go back and you can't move that one time it got hit by me when I was by myself uh, up there and uh, walking through the woods uh, my hairs just stood up but I couldn't move I just like they freeze you but you know our horses could be frozen too people say well what happened to your horses when all this is going on well 
they didn't make a commotion unless a bear was in camp. If a bear would come around, they would make a commotion. But when these things started making a noise, they would just frozen. Their ears would just be pointed towards where the sound was coming from. So I'm not sure. They, I think they can put something on you. And that's one of the attributes I think they have is uh, being able to do that. And they do it through their very advanced vocal mechanism, in my opinion. The studies we've had done. It's almost like they have multiple sets of vocal cords. That's a good, I, I suggest that actually. Uh, if they have, have more than two, we have two. Uh, if they have more than two, uh, that could give them those attributes. In fact, I've been told one time that they're going to have seven. Uh, I, no one's going to know that, though, until one of them comes in and shows you his vocal cords. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem. Because that's, What's your belief as far as the, and, and I want to go back to the attributes, but you just said, you know, I, I thought you were going to say until someone shows up with a dead one. I didn't think you were saying that he would come in and open his mouth and show you, but... Um, what's your what's your what's your thoughts on uh, these groups that that feel that you know they have to provide a body? Well, I, I'd like to say good luck to them, but I don't even say good luck because that's what it would be if they if they shoot one in this in three D environment, it's going to drop. Of course, Fred Beck said he did that, and uh, behind Mount St. Helens, you know, Abe Canyon at the time, and they, they never could find the body. So you don't know if the other ones took it away or if somehow they dodged the bullet some way, but. He swept down, he hit it straight on, and it fell off the cliff, and they went down and couldn't find the body. Uh, that's quite a story. He thought till his dying day that they were paranormal, and I think that's because they've been dealing with these things for quite a while at the uh, Canyon mining camp, they were. And uh, in fact, a couple of years before that, they had fallen a trail, a trackway, which, in the snow, mind you, which just stopped. That's what kind of made him think there's something crazy going on here. <laughs> And actually, that's happened to a lot of people. Yeah, that's a big that's a a big thing in a lot of reports where. Well, I got one like that. <laughs> we Do had you? that. My daughter saw one. Yes, my daughter saw one one morning. Found the trackway later. It had to be an inch and a half thick deep uh, when we couldn't even make a print in the dirt, and uh, started following it. And I got a picture of this in my book. Uh, started following it, and all of a sudden, it just stopped. And I mean, stopped. And I looked around. I could have jumped to, to a tree. Did. No, didn't do that. I could have, I went to a boulder. Could have, where, where'd it go? Now, I've been hearing these reports for a long time, and a lot of researchers just throw those people out with baby water when they say that because yeah. they think, well, they must have got picked up with a helicopter. <laughs> That's what they think, <laughs> something like that. But <clears throat> really, they can do that. If they could change their frequency from matter into energy, they wouldn't have density. And that's my theory. If, if that's happening, and I know it's happened, a lot of reports like that. Uh, I think that lends right to my theory, which means they can change their density. Once they've got no density, because energy don't have density, uh, they wouldn't make a print anymore. Isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so many people have a hard time wrapping their heads around the uh, the woo aspect of, of these things. And I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just weird. I've, I've not, anything that I have heard in conjunction with these things, nothing really jumps out at me as, as being too unbelievable. E- even the, woo, even the woo stuff, it, it, it doesn't, it, you know, well, let me tell you the woo and the paranormal and all that stuff is just quantum physics because you get into 
it's just they don't understand. And, and I just try to get people to understand where I'm coming from with this because it's really not that difficult to be believe that Einstein was somebody that was a genius and Tesla was around, Bohr, Schrodinger, uh, uh, these guys, these physicists of old, I said just a little over 100 years. Nothing's impossible with quantum physics. You know, it's not based on material, uh, not physical. It's based on uh, unpredictable, really. Nothing's really uh, proven until it's observed. And uh, in quantum physics, uh, well, I just encourage anybody, if they question this stuff, just don't close your mind. Just get and start studying like I've done. And not that I'm special, but if you don't look into this, you're never going to get ahead. That was another question I was going to ask you is, at what point did you start becoming a... Well, when we couldn't... Al Berry had a master's degree in science. He was the guy that went up there to investigate this. We thought it was Oaks to start with, but then he got captured and he he couldn't figure it out. Um, He said, whatever you do, stay with science. Don't talk about the strange stuff that went on up here. No one's going to believe you. And and in fact, Bill McDowell, I just talked to him a few months ago. And um, I said, Bill, you ever talk about this? people said, no, I I don't talk about this to people. (laughs) Because he said, it's hard enough to get them to believe there's a Bigfoot out there, much less that they do what they were doing to us up there, which is all kinds of crazy things. One time we thought our camp was being tore apart, everything was being shambled, and we thought, ah, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but we looked out there later and nothing had been changed. Well, how do you explain that? How do you explain that light that went by us in yeah. 2016 that David Pilates recreated in his film? Well, there's there's uh, even been people that report like the sound of uh, um, closing car doors and, and um, like machines you know, yeah. like heavy machinery in the in the woods, and yes, I had I thought a corridor sign outside our shelter one time up there. You can't get a car up there, my gosh. Um, so they they I think they can either make you think that's what you heard, or you heard it. And if you heard it, that means they did it with their vocal mechanism, or you're hearing into some other portal or something. I don't know. It's just uh, I thought I thought I heard a it's not like a. 10-ton hummingbird or something up above us. It just made whoo- whooping sound. Not whooping, but uh, humming sound. Like a, like a tuning fork I was related to. Huh. And uh, this daytime. I couldn't see it. You couldn't find the source of it. None of us could. And you just, what do you do with that? You, know, you kind of just put it up on the shelf and shrug your shoulders until you finally start realizing everything has to have an answer or it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> so you got to find the answer. So when Alberry said stay with science, I figured I got to get into what could cause this and I got into quantum science started reading that uh, oh, 15 years ago or so just got into well wow there's some things that quantum science might have some answers for us here and I think it does it's all about frequency energy and vibration at our most minute level of existence Eric, we are energy vibrating at a frequency right yeah and exactly. everything is and if you can find the frequency of something you can change its matter so if you can get on the right frequency you can change the matter and that's how things, I think, can disappear. I think that's how people get healed by the masters of old, how they heal people. They said, we can do that too, but we've not evolved that far. I mean, I can't walk on water. I can't even change water into wine yet. If I could do that, <laughs> yeah, I can make a lot of money. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's <laughs> supposedly we can do that stuff. Well, most people just say, well, that's not what they meant. There's just a, something. Nah, it couldn't be that. But, you well, know, it like, it's be. funny you said we haven't evolved into that yet. And... And I almost wonder if the possibility is that maybe we had that at one point and we have evolved out of it. 
just simply because of so. our, uh, yeah. the way we've civilized ourselves. You I know, think so. I think putting four walls around us and, and locking your doors every night and not having to worry about rain falling on your head because you have a roof above you. I think, I think senses have, have been dumbed down throughout the, the many hundreds and, you know, well, thousands of years that we've been, you know, air quote civilized. Yeah. I think uh, you could be right on it. I agree with you. I think at one time uh, the human race was made to do what, these things that, well, I'm going to say his name. Jesus Christ did. You know, I think we were we were all able to do that. And he said we could do what he's doing. However, none of us are doing it because he was one with the, the creator. Uh, we, we are all one with that creator, whoever that is. You can call it God, you can call it Elam, you can call it uh, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's something very special, very high. Uh, being of light has changed the DNA of a chocolate and made us who we are to, as a human being. Uh, they give us the attributes, the cognizance, the, we all have tele, tele, telepathy ability. We can, mm-hmm. we can hear, we can sense things. If we just open up our pineal gland, which I got a whole chapter on the pineal gland in my book, um, how I think it's a receptor in your head. And if you can learn, just to open that up and, and decalcify it by your diet. Uh, so it can actually be the third eye that it was meant to be. It has all the attributes of an eyeball, except it don't have to require light like our two eyes in front do. You can connect that with the brain, the front brain, and you will sense things that you will be more in, intuitive about everything. And then you got to make sure your brain is in coherence with your heart because your heart is a big energy thing. When you get that big feeling of a gut feeling, yeah, that's that's what you should go by. Just make sure your that gut feeling is connected to the brain, and you know let the brain talk you out of what you think should be right. If you think over here, okay, there's a couple thousand dollars over there you will pick up, or I can go over here and help this old lady. Your heart says, or your big energy, it says, help the old lady. Or if you start to go that way, it'll hurt you. Well, you just got to learn to listen to that, I think. And I think that's that's one of the ways to start getting in tune with the oneness that we're all supposed to be. Actually, we all are. Once you can get into that, you are, okay, I'm going to say it again, you are saved. <laughs> So these people who live their whole life like, uh, as evil and and uh, they go out hurting people and stealing and robbing and just doing bad things. Well, they think at the very last they can say, okay, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's bullshit. <laughs> Thank you for you saying follow, that. you got to follow the core, the core principles of what was taught by the masters. I mean, all these old masters taught love and compassion. If you don't have that in your attributes, your daily living, you're not changing your own personal frequency. And you, the only way you get these attributes is get your frequency high enough like these masters had. They do that through meditation and through just learning how to live as one with, their, with the oneness that we all are. This could solve the, the subject of Bigfoot, but maybe it doesn't. Because maybe these things are, are just a step ahead of what most people want to think they are. And they've learned how to live one with nature. They're not, they're, they're, they're not like us, so they don't have d- dominion on this planet like we do. We're the chosen race. We are chosen. I think other, even UFOs and aliens are probably envious of us because we have what they want. And we have, uh, we have been given the opportunity to experience life on this planet. How you react to those experiences is what's going to determine your vibrational frequency going on. So if you can, do you feel the, 
any extraterrestrials. Do you feel that we're all created by the same? We all have the same creator. All humans have, yes. But I mean, outside of us, any additional life outside of our planet, do you think do you think there's one sole creator of everything? Yes, yeah, I think so. Well, Elohim, God in the Old Testament, even mm-hmm. is plural. It's not you know most people look at God like he's somebody sitting up on a throne. We're all going to go to heaven and start herding sheep for the rest of our life. That ain't the way it works. I don't think. Uh, Elohim, which is the plural, and it's all through the Bible. You can't really deny it if you start saying the Hebrew. It's plural, which is crazy. God is light. Well. Light beings are way up there in a high-dimensional environment, and they can. I think that is what's created us, and it's created this earth. It's created everything. And don't ask me how it got started because I have no idea. It's hard to get our head wrapped around a, a entity that had no beginning, no end. It's hard to get our head around. I've asked this since I was a little boy. How far is it to the end of the universe? What's on the other side of the end of the earth? Well, there can't be an end to it. Now, how do you get your head around that? Yeah, you don't. So there's things we just have to accept that's, that's there. We will never catch it in our three-dimensional thinking. You have to conceive it outside of that. And uh, that's called believing. And uh, anyway, I can go on and on like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, back back to uh, some of the attributes of these things that are... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what about the mind speak, the telepathy? Mm-hmm. Is that anything that you've ever had any contact with? I don't know. You know, people ask me that. I, I'm sure we have that ability, but uh, I'm too analytical. I really, I always have been. I'm a retired businessman. I've been in business all my life, and I analyze things a lot. And sometimes when you get those thoughts in your head, you, you just assume that you had those thoughts yourself. You don't know that something's trying to, Maybe that's why they were trying to talk to me up there to camp that night, which thankfully I got my recorder on and got recordings like that. You literally, I mean, you you have a, a very strong feeling that they were trying to communicate with you. I do, yeah. If you listen to it carefully, you can. It's just an inflection in the way they they're making their sound. It sounds like no, 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 no. I could come on. Yeah. Or I'm just I try to mimic them back, and uh, that didn't work. I'll never know. I guess what they what they were trying to say, but maybe it's because I wasn't able to catch it like that, like a telepathy. Uh, I think you got to be in your relaxed state. And uh, we were all, when you get up there, you're kind of in another world. You're kind of in a, a sanctuary, I guess you want to call it. Just so nice and so beautiful and so serene. And creeks and trees and rivers. And uh, I think you get into the state of, uh, I call it the alpha state of awareness. We're in the beta state right now. We're talking and drop off into the alpha state. We're not trying to analyze things. And I think when you get into that, you get into your theta state, which is, where you get lucid dreams. I think that's where Tesla was when he came out of that. He would have answers to a lot of his problems. Right, yeah. And I think we, if you go through those stages, you get you change your vibrational frequency each time you do. And if you can get into the right frequency and they're at the right spot doing, I think, yeah, telecommunicate. I think they can communicate with some people telepathically and just have it. If I was there again doing this right now, I would try to do just that, just try to relax my mind and see I could catch anything that I didn't make up myself. But you got to wonder, did I make that up? Did I create that? Or did something try to tell me something? Right. It's an amazing, it's an amazing topic. I, I just, <laughs> it's been fun. I got to tell you, I've, I've had a lot of fun with this my whole life. It's, it's, uh, some people want to take it really seriously and you probably should think of it seriously because these things are out there. 
when I give my presentation at these conferences, I don't try to convince anybody these things are out there. That's not what I do. I just tell them, here's the evidence. Here's the studies we've had done on these sounds. Here's the here's here's some of these famous physicists that says this and this and this. And they want to believe it, they can believe it. If they don't, well, they don't. Everybody's got a choice. Everybody will have a choice for the rest of their life. How you choose <laughs> makes a very big difference on what's going to happen to your vibrational frequency. Choose what's good and right. Choose love and compassion for other people, and uh, you're going to elevate yourself. It's it's not that hard, is it? No, it's a good way to live, really. It, it, just, it is. I started learning how to meditate and uh, stuff like that. and just. Do you meditate? Absolutely. Yeah, I did this morning again. I do it every morning if I can. Uh, I try to make time for it. <clears throat> I do make time for it. Uh, how did you go about on the uh, on the journey of learning how to? Uh... Well, here you are. It's hard. It's not. I shouldn't say it's hard. It's hard to not. It's hard to think of nothing, <laughs> especially if your brain's always going all the time. And trying to think of nothing, and then just relax your brain and uh, listen to something very serene. Like they got they got uh, frequencies now that you can listen to uh, four twenty eight or five thirty two. I think it is. There's different frequencies do different things to you. Uh, look at the healing frequency. Just learn how to balance your chakras, which are throughout your throughout your body. If you can line those up, and there's a lot of programs on how to how to do this stuff, and you just have to learn and discipline yourself to do it because we're not normally doing that stuff. We get up, we have a coffee, we go to work, and uh, you got to deal with all this stuff. You come home and start thinking and watching TV. And uh, you're not dealing with what's really important, I think, which is trying to communicate with that oneness, that one consciousness that we're all really part of, that most of us just don't hear. We don't listen to it. And you learn how to listen to it by opening that receptacle called the pineal gland. And uh, you got to decalcify that because we've been we've been inundated. You know, when I was a young kid in school, they said, make sure you brush with fluoride. Yep. That's, yeah. that's going to help your teeth. Well, now it's been shown... Have you seen the pictures of what a penile gland looks like that has been out, taken out of a body that had fluoride? Yeah, it, it's calcified. It almost looks like and, it's got an aluminum coating over it. Well, that's calcification. It's, that's, that holds back your receptors from, you know, I just wonder if that was planned that way because, you know, why are they dumbing us down like this? Yeah. We're trying to as kids. And um, now they know that fluoride, uh, which is in a lot of water that you drink, is uh, – it's calcifying your pineal gland. It's coating it. We eat uh, GMO foods. Now we mostly are GMO. Now. Just about everything we eat is non-GMO. And just trying our best to clean the pineal gland up from the years and years of being at, uh, of having the wrong diets. And once you clean that up and you've got your receptor open, then you start meditating. You can receive. Once you receive, make, put it to work with your brain. Make sure your heart and your brain have coherence. I said a lot of a lot of stuff right there really fast, and I. <laughs> no, but it makes it makes complete sense. Ron, before we wind this up, the last thing I'd like to know from you is how has and I'm not talking about the the enjoyment that you get out of going and and doing your talks and your lectures and and writing your books and and all of that. I'm what I want to know from you is how how did that experience up in the Sierras with within those first couple of years when you were having all this activity and you had your sighting and stuff, what, what's, how did that affect your life? What, what is, what have you taken away from it? 
Well, it pretty much changed me. I was brought up religiously, and uh, you know, when you realize uh, there's just so much more going on, and instead of just thinking about this stuff on Sunday and bowing your head and talking to a plate at dinner time, you know, uh, there's more going on, and uh, it just it just made me, I think, I hope become a better person and and become more aware a more aware person. And knowledge is your friend, and uh, keeping an open mind is so critically important. I don't throw anybody's report away anymore when I read them or hear them, but I put it in my brain and just wonder if it fits in any of the other dots that I got going on. If it does, then I get her good at credits. And this thing about these things disappearing, trackway stopping, all that strange stuff, I don't throw that away because people have that stuff happening more and more and more every day now. I get reports every day of my life. I get emails from people wondering about this or telling me about that. And I appreciate that. It just adds to my vocabulary of all these things I've seen and witnessed myself and done. Uh, so it's changed my life. You want to know what it done. <laughs> However, I was very successful as a businessman. I was able to uh, do a lot of traveling and uh, get into some of these spots that, uh, most people, I've had an incredible journey, and I really appreciate the life I've had. It's just been so good. Well, and I, uh, I, I've met you once, and, and now we've talked tonight again for the second time. You, you seem like such a uh, such a very pleasant man, and uh, you were very you were very cordial and, and extremely nice to uh, myself and my son when we met you a couple of weeks ago. You just you kind of exude just what you were talking about. You, you have that you have that kindness about you and, and it shows. And, uh, I, I, <laughs> I was sitting at my, uh, my vendor's booth and I saw you get done with your, your first, uh, your early part of your, uh, your presentation this, this, in West Branch. In Michigan. Yeah. Michigan, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I saw you go back to your table and you sat down and, and I looked over at you, there was nobody around you. And, and I looked at my son and he's like, he's like, what are you waiting for? And I said, look at him he, he just got done talking nobody's bothering him he, you know i just i don't feel right going over there because i want to give the guy a chance to relax and 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 my son said you know you're going to kick yourself if you don't do this and and then that's when i, I got up and i walked over to you and uh, and i still i still felt bad because i didn't want to i didn't really want to oh. intervene in, in in your time you know and uh but it, it was a it was an absolute joy meeting you, and I, I appreciate your kindness. Well, thank you, Eric. Good to meet you and your son. He's he's a big boy. Yeah, he is a he's a towering <laughs> beast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you would, before we wind this up, why don't you let my listeners know uh, websites and uh, where they can get your books and uh, the titles of both of them, and and what projects you have coming up in the in the yeah. future. Well, actually, I have uh, two CDs which uh, I produced, uh, which have these sounds on them, which you can stick in your car and listen to. It. It's also the narrative of what happened with Al Berry. Uh, volume one is Al Berry's story. I produced it on CD. Uh, Jonathan Drake, Star Trek, he uh, narrates it. They're both about 40 minutes long. The second one I narrate, and uh, it's about 40 minutes long. It's got the wood knocking. It's got the whooping back and forth and how uh, my take on all this stuff. and. Uh, that's uh, made the uh, same camp a couple of years later. And that's all on my website, ronmoorhead.com. And uh, it's uh, 
my books are there too. One, the first book I wrote is Voices in the Wilderness, and it comes with a link. Uh, you can get the download the link and hear the sounds that I talk about when I talk about the sounds. You'll hear the context of what was going on when I heard that specific sound. And the Quantum Bigfoot, which we've been talking about here in this last 30 minutes or so, is is where this is kind of taken to over the years, where it's taken me into the science of quantum mechanics. And both of those, all all those things are ordered uh, on my website, ronmoorhead.com, 1-0 and Moorhead, M-O-R-E-H-E-A-D. And uh, if you order the book, there's two ways you can order the book, Voices of Wellness. <clears throat> One with the CD actually could come in it, and that is if you order it through me directly through my website, which they're both on. If you order it through just the black and white book with the download link or the Quantum Bigfoot uh, download link, those are downloads. Those are uh, acquired through Amazon, and uh, that's how I uh, had those set out. I just couldn't keep up with them, trying to mail them out myself. So, but I do mail out the CDs, and I do mail out the uh, the book with the CD in it. Fantastic. Any, uh, any projects coming up? I know when, when we were talking at the West branch, uh, conference, you said you had, uh, you were, you were kind of running off an itinerary of where you were headed and what you were doing and you, you were still going on expeditions. Well, I just came back from Alaska. I was on a filming expedition up there. Travel channels doing something. I can't really talk about it, but it should be out in February or so. It's pretty unique, really well done. I think it's going to be well done. Very high budgeted thing. And uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, well, I'm going to be in uh, Gatlinburg here next month, or in July, I guess it is. I've got to go to California in June on an expedition down there. And uh, then I'll be with uh, George Norrie here in Everett, Washington in uh, September, I think it is, yeah. You're a busy so man. So I just, uh, what I do is, <clears throat> I, I'm not... Uh, real big on I'm 79 now and I don't uh, jump around jump out of helicopter or anything like that anymore I just I uh, I don't want to sleep on the ground I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you <laughs> well I've done a lot of that and it's not what I want to do now and uh, so I don't do a lot of expeditions that require me to sleep on the ground or out in the middle of nowhere or do these midnight walks looking for glowing eyes or something uh, but I do enjoy people's uh, stories, and I, I like to uh, see how they fit in with my uh, my idealistic thoughts on how this whole thing works. Bigfoot could be the small part of this whole big bubble that we live in. I got a feeling uh, it is. I think it's you got uh, to look, look at the bigger picture. I think here, and Bigfoot is not the bigger picture. It's just what I happen to get involved in. And, it's uh, just one it probably aspect. Probably brought of me it. to thinking the way I think now. What about a movie? By the way, did, did, did energy I, can't die. <laughs> what's that? I was going to say energy can't die. We're all made of energy. Yeah, that's that's very <laughs> so true. So you just change forms. If you're a religious person, you say you're going to go to heaven. If you're a physicist, you change to another dimension. So there you go with that one. What was your question? Did I hear rumor that you had a, a movie project in the works? Well, there's supposed to be one going on, but you know, you never know how these production companies are going to be. This this last one I was with in Alaska, it's going to really happen, I think. I mean, it's, they put too much money and invested in me to not do something about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, most production companies, you know, they do a, something on you and spend ten, twenty thousand dollars maybe just for a sizzle reel and then try to sell it to uh, to a network or to distribute it. And a lot of times that happens. A lot of times it doesn't fit the networks what they want as a narrative. 
you won't be in it. And I've, I've been filmed a lot, but uh, I'm not in a lot of them. I've been in several, but a lot of them never show this, never surface because of maybe what I say doesn't fit the narrative they're looking for. The world needs more Ron Moorhead. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. It's nice to hear. It's been it's been a terrific joy for me to sit here and talk with you, sir. Well, you take care. Give my best to your son, too. I will. I will. And thank you for being with us this evening. Okay. Good night. Good night. Thank you for joining me this evening. If you have an experience or there's a topic that you'd like to have covered on an upcoming episode, please contact me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all at Uncomfortable Podcast. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave a review. T-shirts are still available in sizes medium through 2XL. The cost is $25. And that covers the shipping to anywhere in the continental U.S. The show is growing by leaps and bounds, thanks to you, the listeners. We've got some great content coming up, so stick around.